so today we're going to talk about sacred pausing, which I think is best understood through the praying of the hours. And I love this litany because it says, in the litany, we pause now and open our minds to the fullness of God, of which we can contain only a little at, t- at a time. A portion that gives us life and makes us hungry and thirsty for more, fueling our imaginations. And I think, in sum, that's what this is about. That's why we pause to receive the fullness of God in little bits throughout the day. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, But first I want to talk about the seasons. So there's lots of poetry in the Bible, but one of my favorites is from Ecclesiastes, which Glenn read in a very wonderful Morgan Freeman voice all the way up until our technical difficulty. But I love Ecclesiastes 3, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, because it talks about various seasons of life in a way that I have always found comforting. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. It's almost as if it's okay to let go of what's past or to let go worrying about the future and to just sort of be present in the now, in the season of life that you're in, the moment that life is offering you right now, even if it's not good. The poem from Ecclesiastes is a reminder that while we can't always change our circumstances, we can mindfully move with the current of life in each season, knowing that surrender to the season makes room somehow for self-compassion. Now, this is a good reminder because, believe it or not, we are in the dead of winter. Don't look outside. It's really sunny right now. We are in winter right now. And I don't know about you, but I have felt that lately. Because even though it's a beautiful day today, has it not been so cold and so rainy and gloomy so much this year? It's winter time. But whether I can actually see the sun or not, I know that the sun will set this evening and it will rise again in the morning And I also know that spring will come, and not far behind spring will be summer, and after that, some some semblance of fall. (laughs) And just like last year, like every year, winter will cycle back around again. And even though I'm talking about the weather here, I'm talking about us, too. We all continue on season after season with whatever soul work or emotional work or physical work is required of us. We will fulfill our responsibilities as best we can, and then we will repeat it all again. So the seasons reflect a deeper rhythm, the rhythm of life. And it is this cadence of living that is the ultimate subject matter of poetry and why poetry matters. This is why Maya Angelou spoke of sun, rain, curving sky, and why Mary Oliver spoke of stones on the riverbed, or Walt Whitman of brown ants in their little wells. Poets throughout history have been hyper-attentive to the details of creation, to the miracle of what's ordinary. 
This is why poetry is so in sync with the present moment and a great tool for helping us to be present. It's about what's staring us right in the face so often. This is also why poetry is an invitation for us to go deeper. It's why it's about more than a parade of goldenrod by the road's edge, Beekner, or rivers ancient as the world, Hughes. Poetry reminds us that the seasons of creation reflect back to us the cyclical rhythm of our own lives, our seasons of joy and pain, of suffering and thriving, of grief and healing, giving us insight into that poet in Ecclesiastes who also said, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Joy, pain, healing, none of this is new to us. They are seasons we will experience at some point in our lives and then again and again as long as we live. But don't be depressed by that. This is how we know that poetry is more than written word. The rhythm of our lives are like living poetry. The, the rhythm of our lives can be like living poetry if we choose to see it meaning we can daily choose to see the deeper meaning of our existence and our purpose. We can find meaning right down to the hours of our day. And so in relation to our Imago Dei, to our need for communion with God and our soul's inerrant longing to somehow praise God, we look not just to the season of life we're in, but also at each individual day and hour. We regard our 24-hour periods of many resurrections and many deaths and everything in between as its own cycle of seasons. Each day has a cycle of seasons. So, with this in mind, I'd like to talk specifically about the Liturgy of the Hours. How many people are familiar with the Liturgy of the Hours? How many people are very familiar so I'm preaching to the choir here. But I want to talk specifically about it as a practice we can reclaim, expand upon, and practice ourselves in our daily lives. Because through this practice, we become deeply mindful of our existence and our purpose as children of God. And we become aware of the poetic rhythm of our daily lives. It's not a rhythm that we have to create. It already exists. Just like the seasons of the year, it already is here. Our job is just to become more attuned to it. So we learn to pray without ceasing. Enter the Liturgy of the Hours, known by many names, including the Divine Office, or the Canonical Hours, or the Prayer of the Hours, or the Breviary. There are many names by now because it is the oldest form of Christian spiritual disciplines. Taken from Jewish tradition and practice, it's based on the psalmist who says, seven times a day do I praise you, and at midnight I will rise and thank you, both from Psalm 119. It was incorporated into Christian practice since the early days of the church, and to this day, the chosen hours reflect Roman time and Roman commercial life uh, when the Catholic Church formalized this liturgy. 
So you can see the times and names printed on your guide. I put them there so that, because um, we're going to do a little meditation, and if you want to take notes or something comes to your mind, you can. But they're printed in the order in which I'll speak about them. And they're listed in both English and in the original Latin, meaning I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing these right. So you have morning or louds, mid-morning or tears, midday or sext, which means sixth hour, everybody, mid-afternoon or non, evening or vespers, night or compline, and the night watch or matins. So in sum, the prayer of the hours is the practice of consciously pausing for prayer at specific times of day. It is a tradition that monastic communities continue to uphold and structure their, their days around. So if you go visit a monastery, the, the hours will be upheld there. Retreating at a monastery, anyone? Has anyone done this before? And following the rhythm of the hours with the nuns or the monks who live there is a beautiful and mystical experience, and I highly recommend it if you're able. Each holy hour is marked with a small liturgy, including litany, written prayer, silence, and song. Um, but if you can't get to a monastery and this is of interest to you, there are lots of books you can use. I even put one. Yep, there's the one I have. Do you have, an, do you have one? Is it the Book of Con? Is it, do you remember the name? Um, th these, th there's a lots of books. This one's the prayer, the Little Book of Hours. I think there's a Book of Common Prayer one, maybe. But these books will guide you each day with liturgy and structure, just like if you were at a monastic community and you wanted to pray, actually pray the hours with set liturgy. However, if that bores you, <laughs> never fear. I don't want to talk about the liturgy of praying the hours today. I want to talk about the spirit of pausing. And this is where the Benedictine monastic Macrina Weiderker comes in. So I have another slide where you can see it because I really want you to buy this book. This is a sister, you guys, who knows what's up. She knows what's up. This is her book. She has lots of books, actually. But this is called Seven Sacred Pauses, Living Mindfully Through the Hours of the Day. And I really like this book because she writes specifically to people like us who do not live in monasteries. <laughs> she writes to people who have full and busy lives, who have children, relationships, careers, or all of the above. And she says that it's totally possible to develop a regard for these historical hours without always having to pray specific texts or go to a specific place. She says, quote, you can learn to enter into the spirit of the hour wherever you are, no matter what you are doing, you can pause to touch the grace of the hour. In other words, it's not all or nothing. We have permission to be creative and to do what works for us. What she is speaking of is essentially a poetic rhythm embodied through the incorporation of mindfulness in our everyday lives, reminding us that while mindfulness is a concept that Buddhists have been faithful to forever, it's also a universal quest that belongs to all of us. So, like the great poets, we become attuned to the beauty of creation 
the beauty of the ordinary. And like the ancient mystics, we become open to silence, however small a moment of silence may be for you. And like the monastics, we become open to a posture that emphasizes pausing to mark the sacred, the sacredness of the day throughout the day. This is a practice that makes space for the abundance of God to come flowing into our lives, but it is up to us to make the space. So what I want to do with the rest of the sermon space is to practice. And I want to practice by using an ancient Jesuit practice called the daily examine. This technique was formed by St. Ignatius himself. Do you guys know who that is? Um, And it's a prayerful reflection on the events of the day in order to detect God's presence and discern God's direction. So we're going to use it to to reflect on what it might mean for you, you individually, you, to pause more in your own life because it's going to look different for all of us. So in a moment, I'm going to walk us through each hour very briefly. There's seven hours. And I'm going to describe the various themes, and and everything I'm describing is heavily influenced from Whitaker's book. So if you are interested, go get her book. And I also just want to cite that. This is her material. Um, But during this time, we're going to use the daily examine to consider our typical routines. Be aware of God's presence with you as you consider your hours of the day. Be aware God is present right now and always. I will leave a brief space for silence in between each description of the hours so that you can reflect or pray or jot down notes or daydream or play on your phone, depending on what you want to (laughs) do. But we will begin with morning or lauds. This hour is normally recognized at dawn or around 6 a.m. Maybe you've been awake for some time now, or maybe you are one of the lucky ones who get to sleep later than this. But think about, either way, think about your waking hour. What is the first thing that you do when you wake up in the morning? Morning is a call to our own small resurrection. And so when you wake, consider reflecting on what needs to rise in you each day. Some days you might need to awaken to joy. Other days you might need a positive attitude just to get you through your work responsibilities or relationship challenges. Spend a moment in silence considering what kind of resurrection needs to take place most often for you in this season. And also think about what pausing might look like for you in your waking moment.
The next hour is mid-morning or terse. Terse is normally observed around 10 o'clock in the morning, but maybe for you, you need it to be 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock or 10.30 or whatever. At this time of day, the day is still fresh, still open to possibility, no matter how it has started off. What does 10 a.m. look like for you on a typical day? Is it consistent? Does it change throughout the week? Is it chaotic? Are you sitting or moving? What's your mid-morning rhythm? It was in the middle of the morning when the Holy Spirit first came upon the waiting disciples at Pentecost, empowering them to do their new work of birthing the church. And so the mid-morning hour is considered the Spirit's hour. A short pause through a simple breath, a prayer, a cup of coffee can make all the difference in reconnecting to the Spirit of God in you. In this moment of silence, think about how you can open yourself up to the blessed Spirit amidst your routine at this time of day. next hour is midday or sext. And I mentioned this earlier, sext means sixth hour, known, which is next, means ninth hour, but these are based on ancient Roman times, so it doesn't really make sense with our time of day, if you're wondering. This is the noon hour. What does your noon hour look like for you on a typical day? Maybe you're home, maybe you're at work, maybe you're in business meetings, lunch meetings, The sun is at its peak this hour, inviting us to ask how can be light to those around us and to God's good creation, inviting us to wonder how we can be peace to this world. But this illumination also invites us to look upon ourselves with grace and affirmation, with the eyes of God. You are filled with goodness and potential. Perhaps you could use this pause to believe good things about yourself, just as God does. Examining your life, what is an area in which you need to give yourself more compassion? Spend a moment in prayer and reflection. Afternoon or noon comes next. This is a busy time of day for many people. 
a time where you are racing the clock to complete deadlines, projects, finishing up work, picking kids up from school, or running errands in that awful afternoon traffic. Or maybe you aren't busy this time of day. The reality of the day's end is near to us all, though, at mid-afternoon, and it becomes harder to pause. Perhaps an alarm of a simple prompt or question or reminder to take a breath might be a realistic pause for you. Maybe such a prompt could challenge you to consider what previous hours of the day have taught you or what in your life or heart needs to be readjusted with the remaining hours you have. Spend some time in prayer over your life. Think about what an afternoon pause might look like for you. Evening, or Vespers, is next. Vespers is the prayerful call of the sunset hour. I will admit this is a tricky one for me, and probably many of you in here. If you have kids, this is right smack in the middle of trying to convince them to eat what you cooked, or bathe them, or get them to sleep. Or maybe you're stuck in traffic on I-35 trying to get home. <laughs> For me, this is the time of day when I feel holy least of all. And yet this hour is a most special one and most revered one in monastic communities. The liturgy is fullest, attendance highest. This hour marks the twilight moment in which the arms of the day cradle both day, both light, and night darkness. What could or should a pause look like for you in this hour? Maybe you need to push it back to 8.30 <laughs> or up to 5 o'clock or 4.30. Spend some time prayerfully thinking about what this evening pause might look like for you, remembering what John of the Cross said. In the twilight of life, God will not judge us on our earthly possessions and human success, but rather on how much we have loved. Two more. Night or compline. The word compline comes from the Latin word complete. Our night prayer is the completion of our journey through the seasons of the day. This is the hour in which we prepare to enter into the great silence of night. Here we know rest from the day's labor. We learn about the beauty and mystery of darkness. We find opportunity for deeper trust in the divine. For monastics, the nightly prayer is a way to prepare for death, the days and the final physical death. It's a time of surrender. What does your time before bed usually What habits or ways of thinking need to be surrendered as you enter into rest? 
what kind of pause would be helpful for you. Spend some time thinking about your nightly routine. The final hour is night watch, or matins. And this is actually the first hour of prayer. But I put it last because it takes place in the heart of the night. Most of us probably don't choose to be awake if we find ourselves up in the middle of the night. Even most monastic orders don't rise and gather for this praying of the hour. But it's still good to learn about it because we all have moments where we find ourselves unable to sleep for whatever reason that may be. The night watch is a time of keeping vigil, a time where our prayer travels deeper than words and into our being. If you find yourself up at this time of night, use it as an opportunity to keep vigil with Christ as Christ is always keeping vigil with the world. Whether you're nursing a baby or up with a sick child or just unable to fall back asleep, consider this an opportunity to keep vigil for the weary world. Open yourself up to what God could reveal to you. Open yourself up to praying for others. The silence provides an opportunity for listening that is not always accessible during the day. And as we enter into a final silence now, consider how you can potentially make these unwanted moments of wakeness a time of holy intention. It is a dance, this constant movement between ordinary living and prayer and pausing. And it's not a seamless dance. It's not about passing or failing. It's not all or nothing. We will never get it perfect. We're not supposed to. Don't let doing it right deter you from doing it at all. This will look different for all of us. But wouldn't it make a difference? Wouldn't even just one or two prayerful moments of pause a day make a difference? We can talk about God all day long. We can read about God. We can listen to some really awesome podcasts. Subscribe to ours, by the way. But none of this will ever replace communing with God being with God, divine intimacy, impossible without prayer. Sarah lent me a book last year. It took me a year to give it back to her, sorry. On meditation, 
And it really resonated with me in a way meditation never has. And I figured out that it's because right off the bat, the book gave me permission to fail, which I knew I would do. The instruction was a simple mantra that has since spread out, covering other parts of my life in beautiful ways. The mantra is simply this, begin again. When you meditate, your mind will wander. It's inevitable. It doesn't mean you aren't cut out for it. It doesn't mean give up. It doesn't mean you wish for a better life or different circumstances. You give yourself permission to begin again. You start over. You give yourself grace. The same is true when we think about incorporating prayer into our lives, making our lives a living prayer. It takes a lot of beginning again, and we will need to give ourselves a lot of grace along the way. So if you come and set on your alarm, and a, you know, an alarm on your phone for seven pauses, don't give up after the first half of the day, day one, when you don't get it right. <laughs> Instead, consider every single day practice. Why is it worth it? Weidecker says, we practice pausing to remember the sacredness of our names, who we are, what we plan on doing with the incredible gift of our lives. We practice in order to learn how to be in the midst of so much doing. So this is my prayer, and I have one for every sermon I ever write. My prayer for us today is that we would look at the hours of our day with more care with more wonder and more gratitude. May we allow each hour to touch us in a new way, to become our teacher. This is what living poetry is, that we would practice seeing more deeply into our ordinary days long enough to encounter the miracle of divine beauty, divine presence. May the reality that is God with us God with us right now, change each of our lives, today and tomorrow and the next day and the day after that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Amen.